So we're on a um, ten-week series called the Searching Heart, and uh, if you were here last week, we talked about our heart consistently searches for an identity, whether we like it or not. We don't get to shut that down. It's searching, 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 searching until we find it, and we'll locate it in different directions, but it won't stop searching until we can find an identity. We're starving for an identity. And uh, this morning, or this evening, we're going to talk about our heart searches for love. Uh, We don't get to shut that down. We don't get to turn it off. We don't get to say, you know, I'm going to stop searching for love. Our heart is hungry for love. Our heart is starving for love. We want it. We need it. And this is in regards to every single culture that is out there. When I say, you know, are you guys looking for love? Yeah, absolutely. But if you go to India and say, are you guys looking for love too? Yes, they're looking for love. You go all the way around the world, Ecuador, anywhere you go, there's a heart that's searching for love, and it doesn't stop. It's an involuntary system that God has built inside of us, and I will tell you that it will not stop until you explore just about everything, even if it's wrong. Just keep exploring and keep exploring and keep exploring. Even if it's wrong, you won't stop until you die, because we're starving for love. Now, usually when you hear pastors talk about love, you hear the, you know, love is a verb, you know, you know love, there's got to be a lot of work, or our love is a commitment. But uh, does your heart search for commitment? Is your heart just like searching and starving for work? When I'm talking about our heart searching for something, there's a feeling that it's searching for. There's something that it desires. There's something that it wants. There's something that it just wants to grab a hold of. And I think everybody in the room and anybody else knows that feeling that I'm even referring to. Just give you a little explanation about, you know, a time that I had the feeling that was just, oh, I just feel like I am in love. It was a time that I first started dating my wife. You know, the first six months, you know, we just, we're just friends. And uh, we hung out. We hiked together. We talked a lot. And uh, we just continued to remind each other, we're just buddies. Yeah, we're just buddies. We're buddies. She'll never forget, me this, forget this uh, one story she holds against me even to now after 23 years of marriage is that I bought her a rose, and it was a yellow rose, and said, Yellow is friendship. Thank you for just being a rock friend with me. I just love this. This is just wonderful. I just enjoying each other for five, six months. After six months, I got a new bicycle, and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to ride to the coast. And she said, oh, well, I'll come pick you up, and I'll bring some hot dogs, and we'll cook a big old fire and, you know, sit on the beach for a little bit, and I'll drive you home. So I hopped on my bicycle, and I drove to the coast. And uh, so she drove over there after I arrived, and she arrived. we arrived. We built a big old campfire, and we were sitting by a campfire, and I looked at her and said, you know what? I'm tired of being your buddy. <laughs> and I kissed her. <laughs> That's the first kiss. And, and then after that, you know, we d- um, dated for another two years. And after we dated for two years, I said, you know what? I'm tired of being your boyfriend. You know, I, I, I want to be your husband. And sure enough, what happens? We <laughs> got engaged. Then we got married. That was her story. I'll tell you what was going on in that story. Is that there's uh, some sparks that are flying. I feel like I'm in love. I feel like I'm desired. I feel like I'm just excited. I feel like I'm alive. When we're talking about love, we're not talking about commitment on this sermon. We could have a whole bunch of sermons we go to commitment. We're not talking about a verb. We're talking about our heart is searching for this feeling that makes you, I feel good. I feel excited. I feel adored. I feel cherished. I feel rich. I feel honored. I feel complete. We know what we're talking about when we talk about this feeling of love that we're starving for, we're wanting. So when we look at this concept and this feeling of love, 
I do have to mention is that there is a feeling that is in our hardware, and if it is in our hardware, there's somebody who created it, and that person is God. And I just want to say that I know that for a fact, and we're going to get to it. If I have a feeling that is, that is joyful, if something takes place, that's happy, if something happens, it's God. He's given it to me. And I believe that the searching heart is God put it inside of us. But I'm going to go there in a second. But before I go there, I just want to ask the question, is it possible for every person to find this love feeling with a cup that is completely and entirely running over? And if it is possible, how do you get it? How do you get to that point? If we have a searching heart, we found this last week, is that we don't stop looking. We do not stop looking. So if we have the searching heart, we want the desire, and I'm saying it's possible for everybody to have it, but if it is possible, how do you get it? And if you get it, do you, how did you find it? How did you locate it? Um, it is possible, and it is so probable that if you do step one, step two, you're going to get it. That's the way it works. In fact, the first four points on your sermon is mathematical figures. And the reason why they're mathematical figures is because there's no grace in mathematical figures. Well, a mathematical figure says you get 6 plus 4 equals 10. 6 plus 4 is not kind of 10. It's not a partial 10. It's math. Math doesn't have any sort of grace at all. It just says it the way it is. So is there a system, I'm going to even say in the Bible, or is there a system in this world where we can do this plus this equals an overwhelming amount of feeling, feeling loved? I would say yes. But before we get to the right answer, let's look at all the wrong ones. Number one, receiving love from others equals an overwhelming, powerful sense of, ceiling, of, um, of feel, a sense of feeling loved. This is what it looks like. The feeling of love comes from somebody's going to sweep me off the feet. So if I have an overwhelming sense of somebody just loving me, this is what the world looks like, overwhelming sense of somebody loving me, then I will, what? Have the feeling. Then I will feel cherished. Then I'll feel adored. Then I'll feel valuable. Then I will no longer feel lonely. Then I will get that feeling of love. It comes from another source besides me, and that person's going to have to give it to me. They're going to have to cherish me. They're going to have to adore me. They're going to have to want me. It often looks like if we could even be married and think of, you know, I really want the feeling of love. I've been married for 25 years. I've been married for 50 years, and I want the feeling of love. And the reason why I don't feel it is we come up with this mathematical figure. If this person did this, then I would feel it. If this person did that, I would feel it. If my wife did it, if my husband did it, then I'd finally feel it. That is a wrong answer if we were going to do math, and many people still sell themselves to that answer, waiting for somebody to sweep them off their feet, waiting for somebody to cherish them, adore them, want them, and then they think, oh, if I could only have it, it would be there. Romance novels sell this all the time. The romance shows that if somebody desires you, somebody looks at you, somebody wants you, who knows that is? Is it your husband? Is it not your husband? Is your, is your wife not your wife? It might be somebody else. This is what takes place in romance novels. And what happens is we want it, we want it, we want it, and our heart goes that direction. But we need to put a check by number one because it's the wrong answer. I don't know math, 
but I know that one's a wrong answer. Here's another wrong answer. Number two, loving others plus receiving love back from others equals an overwhelming, powerful sense of feeling loved. Now, Hollywood sells this one. All you need to do is every single movie, you can practically see, oh, this person loves, and all of a sudden love responds back, and then all of a sudden the sparks start to fly. The love is then complete. I'm cherished, I'm respected, I'm adored by loving and then receiving love back. And now it is complete. But is that a wrong answer? If I'm looking for love, I need to love my husband, I need to love my wife, but I need to receive something back. And if I don't, then I'm never going to feel cherished, honored. I worked at an institution, and I asked somebody uh, who was locked up. It was a young person, 18 years old. And I asked them a question, what do you uh, think love is? Just a simple question. What do you think love is? And I wanted to hear his answer. And this is the exact answer he gives me. When you love somebody, and that person loves you back. I asked him, well, what happens if that person doesn't love you back? And they go, well, you just go find somebody else that will. You see what's taking place is you're giving somebody else an expectation and all your happiness, joy, and that feeling is actually wrapped up in somebody else, not even in any sort of rock that would give it to you. Here's another wrong answer. Loving others plus demanding others to love you back is an overwhelming, powerful sense of feeling loved. Now, you might look at this and say, why is that one even in the notes? The reason why it's in the notes is because there's many cultures that are out there that know that if I love somebody and they don't love me back, I'm not feeling love. And if I love somebody, nobody's loving me back. So then they just get right down mean. And what they say is, I'm starving for love and I will be loved under any circumstances. And it usually turns into a culture that is very degrading of women and very male-dominated. I went to Africa teaching seminars, and as I was teaching seminars, we worked heavy on this concept of love and what God's Word says about love, and uh, the whole culture is wrapped up in this concept. And I talked to the guys, talking pastors specifically, about loving their wives, and uh, I said, you know, are you guys in love? I mean, do you feel like you just love your, your wife? And, and they said, no. And, uh, well, let's work on this. What's, what do you guys need to do? It's like, well, Number one, she doesn't do what I say. She doesn't clean what I want her to clean. She doesn't have sex when I want her to have sex. She doesn't serve me the way that, she want, that I want to be served. And I don't feel like I'm loved. I'm like, oh, well, that's obvious reason why you don't feel loved. Well, how are you ever going to get her to, if you're going to get love, how are you going to get her to do that? He said, well, that's why you're here. You're the pastor. You're supposed to preach to our wives and tell us to serve more and more and more and more and more. But those concepts of love is sex, and I will take it, and as long as I can take it and get it, it turns into I'm I'm at least getting something. Last week, we had a YWAM person that was from Thailand. He showed us a picture, and on the picture is a busy street, and he said, every other sign is a brothel, a brothel where they're they're ruining women, having sex with women, sex slaves. It's taking place like crazy. Even around America, it's taking place. Even as you look at the news, the rich aren't receiving love. Well, what is it? Well, then you demand love. I'm going to get it. Why? Because they're starving for it. And they think, is, this has got to be the method. If they're not giving it to me, then I will get it from them. That's how starving we are for love. We'll go to wild, crazy degrees for it. Loving others plus demanding others to love you back 
is an overwhelming, powerful sense of love? We can easily say, absolutely not. But yet, even in our marriage, a little bit kind of put in perspective, I can even see myself doing it every once in a while. Um, in other words, it's like, well, you know, nobody else can, if I'm talking to my wife, nobody else can sleep with me at night. Nobody else can live in the house with me. Nobody else can give me conversation. Nobody else can have intimacy together except you. So you can almost see there's a little bit of manipulation as my heart starves for love. But this is another check, completely and entirely wrong answer, that if you want an overwhelming, powerful sense of love, this is not the way to do it. In fact, you will turn into an animal if this is the way you live. Number four, loving God plus God loving you equals an overwhelming, powerful sense of feeling loved. Now, this is what comes from most of the churches, um, a lot of churches, a lot of pastors, and, and all you need is God's love. And if you could understand, this is what it looks like, if you can understand that God loves you and you've accepted salvation, all your love wants and desires are all gone. In fact, you won't even need them again. Why? Because God will fill your empty heart so full, so complete, that you will have no more wants, no more desires, and your cup will be overflowing. But let's be real. People do come to church, and as people do come to church and they receive God, they said, I'm going to start this new life out, and I'm going to start this new love relationship with God because I'm hungry for it, I'm starving for it, and He is the answer. They show up and they find God, but they don't last very long. All of a sudden, they leave. They no longer come to church. A lot of people even hate church. They hate God. They're frustrated with God. Why? Because if I accepted him, I'd have this overwhelming sense of love, and I've never felt it. Many of us couldn't even be there right now. Well, I accepted Jesus, but I've never felt loved by him. I've never felt cherished by him. I've never felt adored by him. I've never, I, I know I've seen the cross, and I know he raised from the dead, and I know that he's alive, but I've never really found that rich feeling of love for God. I would check this as a non-biblical answer, a wrong answer. So what would be the right answer that would give you an overwhelming, powerful sense of feeling love? Number five is an answer that's found in 1 John. Loving God plus loving others equals an overwhelming reality of God's love making our cup overflow. Just want to unfold this on 1 John 4, 7 through 12. Let's read it. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear children, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. But if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There's a couple phrases I just want you to look at as we unfold. The second line 
everyone who loves what? Knows God. Everyone who loves who? Loves God? No, we're talking about loving your brother. Everyone who loves his brother knows God. Another phrase I want to look at is the two underlined ones above. Love comes from God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. Maybe rephrase that a little different. I don't know God if I don't love others. Is that what it says? Love comes from God. Whoever does not love God, does not love does not know God. Now we can take this and say, well, this is salvation. If you don't love, then you're done with salvation. But what's these words they're talking about? These words are talking about knowing God, understanding the love of God, seeing the love of God, and the source is to what? Loving our brothers. Look at the bottom. If we love one another, then hit the other underline. His love is then made complete. Let me ask the question. If we don't love one another, is God's love incomplete? That's just saying it a little different, saying it a little backwards. I'm just going to talk about myself for a little while. What do I want? I want to feel wanted. I don't want to feel cast away. I want to feel accepted. I don't want to feel alone. I want to feel desired. Personally, I don't want to feel rejected. I want to feel important. I don't want to feel like a nobody. And I want to feel alive. I don't want to feel dead. This last week, actually, it was even Thursday, Friday, so just a couple days ago, um, went on a motorcycle trip. And uh, we went um, with a guy that has lots of experience. And he's going to says, I'm going to take you on a trail that needs lots of experience. And I said, oh, that sounds great. I don't have any experience. He says, good, it's going to be fun to watch you go. And uh, so sure enough, we got on a motorcycle. This is only my second time that I did it. And I tell you, he took me to the tops of the peaks, and we went down, and we went up, and it was no pavement whatsoever. There was roots, there was rocks, and it was intense. And I tell you, we flew as fast as we can, so much that three times I flew off the bike and rolled down the bank, got back up, got on the bike, and kept on going, and I was just loving it. There was one time that I, I hit a root, and I went instantly to the ground, and my helmet hit the tree as hard as it could, and I whammo, and I'm like, oh, good. I'm sure glad my helmet works. Didn't even take a breath, got back up, and then I just kept on going. I got home, and I'll tell you that I felt alive. I wanted to feel alive. I felt alive, I felt excited, I felt good. This is what I want. Where does that feeling come from? As I mentioned before, it comes from the hardware of our being, from our Creator. God wants us to feel alive, He wants to feel accepted, He wants us to feel desired, He wants us to feel important, and this is what He did. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins, he did what? He left from heaven and he came to earth and lived a life that I could not live, a perfect life that I could not live. And then he ended up dying the death that I should have died. And when he died, he rose again three days later to do what? To make me, make me alive, to make me feel wanted, to make me feel desired, make me feel accepted, then now what? I am his child. I am his son. See, love comes 
from God. That is exactly where it originates. And I give you a little story about me and my wife when we were going through, ah, we're falling in love, and as we're falling in love, we get married, we have a happy, live happily ever after. But all those feelings and sparks were there. Is there feelings and sparks at all to understand that Christ left heaven, came to earth specifically to save your soul from death, to make you alive? There's often not many sparks Not many feelings, not much that comes inside. And then the question would be, why? This verse right here says this is why you don't feel it. Is if you see what Christ has done and you refuse to love your brother, you don't see what Christ has done. You see how this works is that if somebody does this wrong, I will tell you that it's very difficult to forgive. And I can guarantee that you feel it. And I feel it. Every part of it. I'm not going to forgive that person. That person has no right for me to forgive. I should not absolutely. In fact, I'm just going to hold a grudge. I'm going to hold a grudge forever. And what does it do? It completely shields us from the grace of God. Because here's God says, you are dead in your sins. And as you are dead in your sins, I made you alive and you don't even act like you're alive. You don't even embrace the brother that I want you to embrace. Forgive the brother that I've asked you and demanded you to forgive. Therefore, what it does is it shuts our eyes off to the beautiful grace that God has given us. We feel the pain, we feel the hurt, we won't do it, and because we don't do it, we don't see what has been given to us. Whoever does not love, according to the passage, does not know God. Also, according to the passage, is if we love one another, love will then be made complete. What does that mean? That means that when we love each other, we are displaying that we have been loved by God, and therefore I will love with a purpose. I will love with a mission. I will love with a principle that is going to drive me to the ends of the earth to make sure that people are absolutely loved. Why? Because I have been loved. Number six, loving others sets your love on fire for God. Let me just give you an example how it works, and I just kind of use more crude words, but um, we can ask the question, I'm just going to speak in my terms, is uh, what is my wife for? What is my wife for? I know you can probably say, well, you know, well, you know what is her position for? You know, something like that. But I just ask the question, what is my wife for? Um, it's easy to wrap up in her mind because this is where our mind thinks, well, my wife has forgiven me a relationship. Nobody else gives me a relationship. She is for giving me a specific relationship. She has forgiven me care. She has forgiven me encouragement. She has forgiven me empathy. When I come home from a motorcycle trip and I'm broken up and I'm starting to moan on the bed, she goes, oh, honey, I feel so sorry for you. That's what she's for. You know, we can think this way. She's forgiven me sex. She's, well, that's kind of crude. But our minds think that way. I can't have sex with anybody else. Therefore, what is she for? I mean, in just in no sense. She's forgiven me company. She's forgiven me love. This is what my wife is for. And all you women down there are thinking, is this what all men think? Because I just gave you what I think. And uh, if you're thinking that, you guys are, boy, we're married to a bunch of creeps. <laughs> but let me tell you how women think as well. We do the same thing. We won't let you off the hook. What is my husband for? My husband is for giving me children. 
My husband's for giving me security. My husband has forgiven me a listening ear when I feel emotionally scarred. My husband has forgiven me assurance. My husband's for telling me I'm beautiful because nobody else is supposed to tell me I'm beautiful. My husband is for providing for me, honoring for me. We make these positions in our mind of this is what our mate is for. Let's just ask the question. There's only one thing that your husband is for, and there's only one thing that your wife is for. Just one thing. Just get it all cleared up. Just one thing. You know what the one thing my wife is for? If she's sitting here, I'd even point to her. She usually sits there. My wife's purpose is to set me on fire for God. And how is she, what she's supposed to do to make it happen? Absolutely nothing. And what am I supposed to do to make it happen? Absolutely everything. You see what has taken place is God has taken the marriage, and I'm just talking about husband and wife because we'll move on to enemies here in a second, but God has taken marriage to build ourselves closer to God and brought somebody so close to me that when I forgive, God's forgiveness then turns alive in my life. When I give, God's gift turns alive in my life. When I sacrifice, God's sacrifice turns alive in my life. When I love, God's love turns alive in my life. 1 John 3, we know love by this, that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. We can figure out the price that was paid only by loving our brothers, but we reject understanding the price that was paid if we refuse. So how are we going to do this? Step one, step two. I mean, we're talking about a math problem. Step one, step two, it's going to come out to a formula. How do we do this? Uh, here would be step one, and then number eight is step two. So number seven, here's step one. Number seven is preach the gospel of love to yourself. I was going through an ordination process, and uh, one of the guys looked at me right in the eyes and said, how do you preach the gospel to yourself? And I'm like, ah, oh, that's a, it's a really good question. Do I preach the gospel to myself? What we do is we look for revival, and we think if I pray for revival, if I talk about revival, if I um, witness for people revival, if I live for revival, all these things that revival, revival starts with the gospel. Do you know what? The revival does not start with the gospel outside the church. Revival starts with the gospel inside of our heart. A gospel that has to be preached consistently all day long consistently in your mind. Well, what is the answer that I gave that guy who asked me when I was being ordained? Here's the answer, letter A. I'm a no good, blind, rotten, creepy sinner that deserves the blackest hole in the pit of hell. First words that I explained to him. Who am I? What do I deserve? What have I earned? What have I accomplished? What have I made? Talking about God's life. Ephesians 4 says, as you were dead in your trespasses and sins. I haven't earned anything. Dead means dead. It means I'm lost. It means I have no value. It means that I should be cast in hell for everything that I've done. I am completely dead in my trespasses and sins. That's the first part of the gospel. Let me tell you the other part of the gospel. Letter B, 
But because of God's great mercy, I can be made alive in Christ. Just those two phrases right there. I am dead. There is absolutely nothing in me that has done anything for any good reason whatsoever. Anything good whatsoever. God has done absolutely everything in His great love and mercy. He did what? He made me alive in Christ. We're all looking for something that makes us alive in this world. We're all looking for something that makes us excited, makes us desired, makes us all these things. Is our answer that message of the gospel? It often gets clouded. The reason why it gets clouded is because we do not like to think of ourselves as somebody who's a dead, rotten, blind, creepy sinner that deserves hell. And when somebody offends us, we start to convince our mind, well, I have rights, and that person took them away, and therefore, why would I forgive? I have rights, and my neighbor has intruded on my rights. Why should I let that take place? What it comes down to is the only person that has rights is actually Jesus, because he earned it, he deserved it, but yet he laid it all down for us and died. So what? We can live. So that's the first part. I want to to read the verse first. Ephesians 2, 4, but because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we are dead in our trespasses. It is by grace that you have been saved. My wife swept me off my feet with her beauty, with her personality, with her commitment, with her character, and I can keep on going and keep on going and keep on going. But does this gospel have an impact on our feelings and our emotions. Has God swept us off our feet? If you are in love with your, just say an example, in love with your boyfriend or girlfriend, and you think, oh, I got these feelings, well, that's just a taste of something that God has put in your heart for specifically him, not even them. Or even if you feel like I'm in love with my mate, and you feel like it's good and it's strong, well, that's just a taste of something that specifically happened in you, but is meant for a God that will come alive in them when you embrace that. All those movies and all those Hollywood shows that are all displaying about this love that we're just buying off the shelf, trying to find it as our heart is searching for it. Yes, we all feel it. And the reason why it's been created in us for God and God alone. But how do we get it? We see it. That would be the first step. Here's letter eight. Make the gospel come alive in your life by loving others. Many of us accept the gospel, but it's not alive. And the reason why it's not alive is because we have a lot of grudges against enemies. We have a lot of anger against people. We have a lot of unforgiveness that is taking place. And as we have these broken relationships, it's really hard to pull back away from them and see the beautiful light of Christ. Love your wife, God comes alive. Sacrifice for your wife, God's sacrifice comes alive. Give to your wife, God's gifts come alive. Be kind to your enemy, God's kindness comes alive. Forgive your enemy, God's forgiveness comes alive. God created it, and he said, this is how I want the feeling of love to work. This plus this equals this. When you give to others, God's gift becomes a reality. When I sacrifice for others, God's sacrifice becomes a reality. When I forgive others, God's forgiveness becomes a reality. When I love others, God's love becomes a reality. That feeling of love is offered to all of us. 
And the challenge is don't hide it by not loving our brothers, forgiving our brothers, embracing our wives, sacrificing our wives, adoring our husbands, cherishing our husbands. We must embrace God and embrace others. And that is a formula that God says your cup will overflow. Father, we just thank you. Thank you for Scripture, God. God, you came to earth and you paid the price that we could not pay and you gave us salvation that we did not deserve. And God, as we look at Scripture, your Scripture consistently just proclaims that beauty. But God, as people, we want to see that beauty. And we know, God, that the only way we can see it is if we are empowered by you to love those that we don't feel like loving, to cherish those we don't feel like cherishing, to honor those who we don't even feel like honoring. God, you put it in our hardware to want love. And God, I just pray that you empower us to love others so we can see the love that you have given us. In Christ's name, amen.